I have a few different verses I'd like to read tonight for us to see. And I um, feel an interesting and specific uh, direction that the Lord would have us learn about tonight. I uh, told Brother Timothy we'll call this youth and childhood. Now, this is for the adults. I mean, the children can hear this as well, but most of us are adults here. Um, but I believe the Lord would just have us learn some things about us and Him and His Word. Amen? I want to talk first about, I would call it really the nature of humans, human beings, but it starts uh, from birth, from childhood, um, some of the things that we'll see here, and some of it even prior to birth. So Genesis 8, verse 21, what's happening here is Noah and his family have come off of the ark. And if you remember, the Lord had told Noah to take enough animals so that you can offer sacrifices. And so they come off of the ark and they offer a sacrifice. And this is where we read, it says, The Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. I want to draw your attention to that phrase that says, The imagination of a man's heart is evil from his youth. There's a very similar passage before the flood when it says that the Lord saw the wickedness of man and that every thought, every imagination of his heart was evil continuously. So the Lord's saying these are some evil, corrupt people that I'm having to put up with right now. And after the flood, Noah and his generations, his sons, they are uh, still human, but the Lord says the, their ability to return sacrifice to me, their ability to return praise to me is pleasant enough to me that I am no longer going to destroy all of mankind. I, I like this. I'm pleased by their sacrifice. It says that he smelled a sweet savor. And he liked that. And he thought, if I get rid of men, I get rid of that. Their ability to do that. But I also see there in that passage, the, uh, the I guess I would call it a principle that, we, everybody say we, men and women, you're not going to make it through your youth without having evil thoughts. If you're too spiritual to receive that, I pray the Lord help you. Evil thoughts, okay? But why? Well, I don't really want to get too deep into that specific question tonight but 
men, we are created, men and women are created with these faculties that we lump together and call flesh, and flesh is susceptible to, I think the scripture says, every wicked thing, every evil thing. So you're not going to make it through your youth without having a wicked thought, without having an evil thought. The Lord knows that. That does not excuse evil actions. Hear me? That does not permit you to just be a wicked, evil person. All right? We don't take that leap all the way from saying, well, since men are created this way and they're going to have evil thoughts, they're going to have evil imaginations, as it says, then they're just excused to be whatever they want to be and do whatever they want to do. We got the rest of the Bible to prove that that's not the case. But we don't look at ourselves or other human beings and say, well, they thought something wrong, so they're, they're just terrible and the Lord needs to get rid of them or me. Thank the Lord that's not the case. Amen? But we see this part of nature, the, this part of the nature of the human. The Lord says it again. The imagination of a man's heart is evil from his youth. From his youth, not from his adulthood. And, hear me, this, this might sound not um, important, but it is. From his youth, not from his birth. Okay? There's a difference. It's the span of some years from birth to youth. You take a little nine-month-old baby, and I promise you, no matter what kind of faces they make, they're not plotting your, your death. That evil is not in their, in their being. Okay? Now, they get a little older. They experience things. They see things. They hear things and learn things. And in that seeing, hearing, learning, enters into their mind... The, I guess I would call it the capacity for evil. The understanding that I could do something wrong. Everybody, you get that? So there's a difference. It's not from birth. It is from youth. Now I want you to look at Psalms 51, verse 5. Because we're going to, in this similar realm, we're going to see what David says about this, if you know this um, passage, Psalm 51, it's pretty popular. It starts with, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit. David is praying a prayer of forgiveness. But in his prayer, he says this, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin. Did my mother conceive me? David is saying, I was sinful from the start. Okay? I was shapen in iniquity. When, when the Lord made me as a human being, I was not made righteous with the Lord's righteousness. The same as what we get later on through the process. You know all that. Sanctification, justification. So the Lord gives us His righteousness. We're not born with His righteousness. Now, 
Again, I don't want to get too caught up in, in, in I, I'm going to let the Lord raise some questions for you to address with him in study of his word and in prayer. In study of his word and in prayer, not in general conversation, necessarily. I, I'm trusting that the Lord's going to help us. He's going to spur some thoughts in our minds that I want to know more about and I want to know what is the truth. But what I see tonight in this scripture, what that David wrote was, I was born with the need to be forgiven. I was born with the need to be washed, made clean. I, I think I am even, as I see this, just learning more about it. I was not, and you were not, born a sinner. Now I'm really playing the word game with you. Because there's a difference in being a sinner and being born in sin. To be a sinner, you have to have done something to break the law. To break the commandment. You, you become a sinner by transgressing, by doing something wrong. Being born is not doing something wrong. Coming into existence, because you didn't choose to do that. Did anybody decide, I want to be born, I want to be born on this day, I want to be born this gender, I want to have this color hair, these, this color eyes, I want to be this tall. None of us, no. That was all beyond our choice. And beyond our control. So being born is not being a sinner. The scripture does say all have sinned. Sinned. That makes it a verb, a past tense verb. That means it's something you have done. All of us have sinned. So therefore we all need to be forgiven. We all need to have our sins remitted, washed away. But here I see, kind of like what we see where we read that in, in Genesis about the imagination of the man's heart's evil from his youth. Here we see, I was born with the need to be forgiven. If I would have been born, if I would have been born and then died very, very, very young and without sinning, then I wouldn't have that same need, okay? I, I know this is kind of a little confusing, and I'm, again, I'm trying to give you things to justify in your mind with the Lord about. I promise you, I don't have all of the answers. I have a whole lot of questions, and I've heard some answers, and I see answers in the Scripture, but I also have faith in the Lord. We are born with the need to be forgiven, with the need to be saved. A child that, that dies in birth or shortly thereafter has not sinned, and it is not a sinner, but you give it time, the scripture says it will. If it has not, 
It's therefore not subject to what sinners are subject to. The wages of sin is death. So a sinner needs to have that death cover its sins. Okay, I'm not trying to teach a lesson on salvation tonight, but I think we have a, a basic understanding of salvation and know when salvation is needed. Amen? He, David says, I was, and he's making this a part of his prayer. So he's saying, Lord, yes, I did do this one thing wrong that I was confronted about. But Lord, you know me well enough to know that's not the only wrong thing that I've ever done that I need to be forgiven for. I'm taking this all the way back to the fact that I'm a human being. And as a human being, I'm subject to sin and I need forgiveness. Is everybody with me still? John chapter 9 verse 1. We're going, to, we're going to go New Testament for a minute. I like this passage. I, I like that uh, I don't feel alone in my questions when I read this passage. John chapter 9, verse 1. It says, that, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man, which was blind from his birth. Everybody say blind from his birth. Everybody say he was born that way. He was born... Blind. Verse 2, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now pause for a second, because if you just read that, especially if you realize this is his disciples asking the question, then you, you get something that we, we call this inference. I, I'm reading into what they're saying. And I'm reading into the fact that they're saying if a person is born with a disability, it's because there's sin involved. So, so who's guilty, Lord? Clearly somebody is. Is it this person or was it his parents? Now again, further inference would have me think, if a person is born with a disability, it must be either them or their parents. If I'm just going off the question the disciples asked. Now, pause for a second and just realize not every question is rooted in proper understanding. Okay? Most of us have the sincere, sincere desire to know the truth, so we ask questions from a place of sincerity, but that doesn't mean they're true questions. I cannot go to the Lord and say, that person has a disability, so either them or their parents sinned. No. But that's the way they worded the question, is it not? Jesus' response in the next verse gives us a very clear answer, neither, not the man or his parents. I would love to be there with the disciples and see the looks on their faces when they get this revelation, if you can call it that. You mean a person can be born with a dis disability such as blindness? And it's not because of 
direct sin in that person's life? That's clearly there was their understanding by the way that they phrased the question. If they didn't think that was the case, if that wasn't their understanding, they wouldn't have asked the question that way. <laughs> so add to the list of all the things Jesus did when he was on earth. Add to that list, he dispelled the thought that disability was a direct result of sin. A person's sin or their parents' sin. He dispelled that myth right there in that verse. He says, neither this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Again, we're talking about the nature of humans and particularly the nature from birth. Proverbs chapter 22 Verse 15. Talking about the nature of humans from birth, this verse says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. That means I could pick any child. Mine, yours, somebody else's. Use them as an example because this is a global, this is, this is a universal principle. Uh, just for the sake of fun, okay? Don't, start, don't, get, don't get mad or bent out of shape about this. But let's, let's, just for the sake of fun, I'm going to prove that it's the, a universal principle. It does not say foolishness is bound in the heart of rich children or foolishness is bound in the heart of poor children or any other qualifier, right? Oh, the ones that come from poverty, they got the real problems. No. Oh, the ones that are so spoiled they get everything they want got the real problems. No, it just says a child. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. So going back again to where we started in Genesis, that the thoughts, the imaginations of a man's heart are evil from his youth. Now we're kind of taking a step a little further back into the life. But there's a difference in foolishness and evil. There's a difference in foolishness and wicked. You, get, you go from the place of adolescence to the place of youth, older youth, and you cross lines from foolishness, or as another term the scripture uses, folly, into evil, into sin, into wickedness. But I like tracing it back this far because it helps me understand. If I took a young child and I said, if we could examine the soul of that child, then you would see, wrapped up in all the other things that make them the child they are, there's something in there, the scripture calls it foolishness. Now, here's another word, silliness, not Evil. Kids are, are silly. They're, they're, they are just, they're that way. 
at least most of them. I've seen some that were pretty hard to crack. <laughs> and, and you think, wow, are you, uh, are you even happy to be here right now? Some of them are that way, but most of them, they've got this element of, of, of foolishness and, and silliness about them. They love to play. Sometimes they like to play when they're not supposed to play. Sometimes when it's time to play, they don't want to play. But it all is a, about part of what makes them a child. Now, another way of looking at it is they... The, the rest of their mental capacity has not fully developed yet. That's why they don't know it's wrong to kick the seat of the person in front of them constantly over and over and over. They're only thinking about the sensation in their foot that they feel. They're not thinking about the person in front doing this. They just like the folly, the silliness of it. Okay? Now it says on the second part of that verse, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Let me give you a little tip. In that phrase, the key word is correction, not rod. All right? I don't want to preach on that any more than I have to tonight. But correction is the point, not okay? There is, you, you can be as hard or soft in punishment as you want, but the degree to which you are hard or soft does not, is not matched by the degree of correction. The harder you are, that's not more correction. The softer you are, that's not less correction, necessarily. Some people think Mm, no, I'm going to stop right there. Correction. What, what is the correction doing? Let's go back to my example of the kid who's just sitting there kicking the seat in front of him. Over and over. The correction will be, son, there's a person in that seat in front of you. And they feel every time you kick the seat. So, don't do it. What's happening there? Correction. Correction is happening there. It might not even, it might be, son, that seat you're kicking does not belong to you or to me. That's somebody else's property, even if it's empty. But, you know, you got dirt on the bottom of your shoes and every time you kick it, you're making that seat a little dirty and that's not yours. It's not your property to do that to. What's happening there? Correction. Now you can go home and play the hypothetical of how, how, what happens if the kid doesn't listen. Like I said, you can go home and play that hypothetical. Son, did you hear what I said? Yeah. You get the point. Correction. The rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Now, hang on, bear with me. I've got one more note I've got to find about this. Foolishness. Everybody say foolishness. Foolish, 
foolishness is not exclusive to children. In fact, I don't have the number right now, but I could look it up again. I want to say that this word, and it's, an, it's only an Old Testament word. You don't find that in the New Testament. But you find foolishness and folly both in the Old Testament. Twice it's in the book of Psalms. Every other time, and it's about 25 times, is in the book of Proverbs. Foolishness and folly. And that verse right there is the only one referring to children. Everywhere else, it's talking about a man. A grown-up. Not a child. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but it's supposed to get corrected. All those other 20-something verses are about what happens if it doesn't get corrected. Then you've got an adult who is still into foolishness. The problem is... That adult is not still a child. They've also crossed over what Genesis says about the thoughts and imaginations being evil in the heart of a man from his youth. Not from his childhood, his innocent childhood, but from his youth, his older youth, and into his adulthood. So foolishness is not exclusive to children. It is a characteristic that starts in childhood. And if it's not corrected, it will stay with the person as an adult. The kid that sits there kicking the chair, if they're not corrected, and that foolishness stays with them, you can imagine where it's going to go from there. I didn't learn that I'm supposed to be respectful to other people. I didn't learn that I'm supposed to be respectful to other people's property. That doesn't belong to me. Oh, just, just look on your drive home at property that you can tell someone was disrespectful to that doesn't belong to them. Has it ever happened? You bet. In fact, we could probably open the door and just stick our head out and see. But you, if you watch for it, you'll see it a thousand times between here and your house. What happened? Foolishness. That's just one little tiny example because what we're talking about is the character, the nature of the human being. And if that foolishness is not corrected, what it leads to in an adult Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. Now, just in case we're starting to feel bad for the kids here. Not everything childish is bad. We have this in Scripture as well. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. Obviously, not everything childish is bad because God created us, and He created us not as full-grown adults, but as children to be born and then to grow through childhood, adolescence, teenage years, young adulthood, adulthood, to become mature. He created us that way. He wouldn't give you the worst start and say, 
I'm putting you way behind everybody else. Let's see what, what all you can go through to get caught up. Okay? So this is what he says, Matthew 18 and 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Man, we're picking on the disciples tonight. I love it. <laughs> Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Is it me? I mean, how far up there do I rank? I know I'm not way down here with some of these other characters. But who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is what Jesus says. Verse 2, Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So, by process of elimination, only the ones that have been converted and become as little children make it into the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by that? I think we see the answer to this in the next verse, but remind yourself before we look there, what was the question they asked? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then he says, I'm glad you asked. Let me bring a child up here. For example. And he says, verse 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child. The same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? It means the child is not worried about such questions as who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So you, be, you have to be converted to their way of thinking in that area. Not all areas, okay? Not you have to become as children and start living with your parents again and making your mom cook for you every night even though you're an adult, and all the other things that adults don't do that children do. He's not saying, just be childish. No, he's saying, I'm, gonna, I'm glad you asked that question because it revealed something about you that does not belong in the kingdom of God, which is, who's the best? Who's the greatest? Where do we rank? The child is not worried about that. So be like the child. Amen? Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. Now along these lines, talking about youth and childhood, youth is not an excuse to be excused from the things of God. I'm going to say that again. Youth is not an excuse to be excused from the things of God. In fact, I don't, I don't have all these verses on here, but David and others said it many times. From the time I was a child, from my youth, I've learned these things. I've heard these things. You've taught me these things. From the time I was a child, 
This is one such, such instance. Jeremiah 1 verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Oh, what a revelation. Just that much. We like to be very scientific in our defense of abortion. We like to, well, I can tell you it's life is here because there's a heartbeat or because there's this or that, and science proves it. What did, Jer what did the Lord say to Jeremiah? Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you. Your life started way, way, way back. Not in the 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s or 90s or, as somebody said, the late 1900s. No, your life started, I knew you before I formed you in the belly. In fact, I was looking down through history and I thought, when I get to this year, I'm going to need a man to say these things. I think I'll let it be Jeremiah. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now, I, I can't think about this part, th this idea of, of what takes place in the, with the life in the womb without also thinking about the story of John the Baptist. Because you know this, Elizabeth, his mother, was pregnant. She was about six months further along than where Mary was when Mary was, when, when she conceived the Lord of the Holy Ghost. And so she goes to, to visit Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is just doing her own stuff, and the baby recognizes the other baby and leapt in the womb. Now the mom is just the, the voice gives voice to the fact, Mary, blessed art thou among women. Because the child in my womb leapt when you got near. And when that thing that's inside you, I don't mean that to be offensive, that's the Lord, inside you got near. But, you know, I'm just, I, I just want you to know our argument is not an argument of science. I mean, it can be made through science, but faith and the word of God doesn't need science. It's got it. It's got all the science that you could need or want, but it doesn't need science. Do you understand? So he says again, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet 
unto the nations. Now look what Jeremiah says, verse 6. Then said I, ah, ah, put that in the 13-year-old uh, context, ah, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. I, I don't believe that we know exactly how old Jeremiah is when he has this conversation with the Lord. But he's old enough to talk. And he's young enough to think he can use the excuse of being a child. But uh, my point here is, being a child, being a youth, is not an excuse to not be used, to not be listening, to not be participating in the things of God. And I just love it, the way the Lord says, verse 7. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. That doesn't work here. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. I've got two more verses. I'm almost done. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Again, as we're talking about, your youth is not an excuse. Most of you know we call... Uh, or Paul called Timothy his son in the gospel. Well, this scripture, I love it because it really reemphasizes the fact that there is some sort of an age difference. He says, let no man despise thy youth. And really what he's meaning by that is, not... I, I, I would try to use the word jealous, but that's really not, a, not what it means. Men will be jealous that you're younger than them. That's just how it goes. Can I, can I help somebody? The first supervisor that I ever had that was younger than me was about the biggest challenge I've ever faced in my life. And I'm only 36 years old. So, and, and this was not even recent. This was a past supervisor. But to be in that, that position, oh, I knew feelings I had never known up to that point. I, I prayed prayers I had never prayed up to that point. I dealt with thoughts I had never dealt with to that point. I thought, what side am I on? <laughs> oh, the Lord had to really help. It's, it, seems, it doesn't seem like it should be that big of a deal. But to me, it was. I'll tell you what it was. It was me despising his youth. Who does this guy think he is? What has he done to get here? Doesn't he know? And I, I, I think that the age difference was long, like less than 12 months, honestly. It wasn't even a big thing. But it was younger. I knew this because I did payroll and I saw his date of birth and it was younger than mine. I thought, no, all these ages are supposed to be on the other side of that number. 
And then, but so what happened was this, this, this feeling got inside me. And I thought, oh, I don't know what this feeling is, but I do not like it. it. This is not from the Holy Ghost. That's the same thing that Paul's telling Timothy, men and women that you are called to reach with the gospel will have that feeling towards you. It's going to happen. Now, he says, let no man despise thy youth. It's going to happen. But what he's saying is when it happens, don't let it corrupt you. Don't let it deter you. And don't hold it against them. This is humanity that we're talking about. But be thou an example of the believers, the young ones, the not-so-young ones. Be thou an example of the believers. Act like the 50-year-old would act in that same situation. Act like the 60-year-old would act in that situation. Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Take all of those things that a believer has and put them into action. My last verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. First Corinthians 13, 11. Now this is also the Apostle Paul writing. He says, when I was a child... I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, first, let me just point out that Paul only classifies himself as, himself as two age groups. Child, man. Child, man. Oh, do I wish I could go on some college campuses right now and teach this one simple little verse. You're either a child or a man, according to Paul. How long halt you between two opinions? No, sorry, that's the wrong verse. No, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Things, not like my, my baseball card collection or my, my, my toy gun or the, not, not just the physical things, but everything that he just referred to there. Speaking as a child, thinking, understanding, acting as a child. I put that away when I became a man. Some of us, I think we just take longer. That's all I'm going to say about that. Probably not. <laughs> no, I, I, I understand you, we all, I don't have any physical brothers or sisters in this room. We all had different parents, have different parents, or had different parents. We were all raised in different environments. 
We have two, to my counting, two pairs of siblings in this room right now. That's Brother Matthew and Sister Kayla. That's Brother Ellie and Sister Italia. Everybody else, if, unless I missed one, you don't even know exactly what took place in the house of the person sitting next to you or across the room from you. You don't, some, some of us, I say us, this is not me, but some of us had to put away childish things early in life. I'm talking like 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, some even younger than that, because of the environment that they were raised in. Others of us could still be holding on to childish things if we really wanted to because we have such giving parents, such loving parents, that our mindset is, well, one of these days I might not be a child anymore. But today, oh, I'm still enjoying the bountiful blessings of my youth. I, I just want you to see what Paul says. You're a child, sp speaking, thinking, acting, and understanding like a child, or you are a grown-up, because this is not gender-specific man, or you're a grown-up, thinking, acting, speaking, understanding, as a grown-up. Amen? Why don't we stand? Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word, Jesus. I thank you, God, that you desire to teach us, to give us understanding. You desire to help us, Lord, with these stages of life that we're in. These stations, God, that are represented here by your body, God. You desire for us to have a proper understanding. God, you desire for us to know what is true. You desire to know us to know what is expected of us, God. What is right? What is reasonable? God, what is a, a reasonable expectation for each life? God, and I know that you know each one of us here. I know that you are aware, God, of all the details surrounding every situation and every life, God. Even those that we don't know, God, that's beyond the surface of what we can just see or know about our brothers and sisters, Lord. God, you know far greater than that because you know everything. You know it all, Lord Jesus. I believe that you know the path, Lord, that you have each one of us on. You know the things, Lord, that we've dealt with in our past. You know the things we're currently dealing with, God. And those things that you have in our life ahead of us. Because you are there, God, at every time. You are, God, and you were and you will be. You are in the past, Lord. You're in the present and you're in the future. You know it all, Lord Jesus. You want to grow us, I believe, God. You want to mature us, Lord Jesus. To grow, Lord, as it says in the Scripture, Lord, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Lord, I pray, help us, Lord. Mature us, Lord. Come on, would you just let this be your prayer for a little bit? 
Lord, mature me, O God. Take me through the things I need to go through and teach me, God. Teach me the lessons that I need to learn, God. I want my understanding to be proper. God, I want my experiences to be ordained by the Lord. God, I want my speech to be proper, O oh God. I want my thinking to be proper, Lord Jesus. God, I believe this is a healing work that you do as a part of being the healer. I believe this is a creative work, God, that you do as being a part of the creator. Jesus, this is who you are. You are my heavenly Father. You're the one that created us, God. You're the one that put breath in our lungs. You're the one that gave life to each one of us, Jesus. And you know us, God. You know us, Lord Jesus. You know all, O oh God. God, in your name, why don't we pray specifically for young people and children right now? Those that you know, those that are a part of this congregation or your family. God, I pray for them right now in the name of Jesus. God, I know that you've called them for this time. You've ordained them for this season of life, God. For this time, this point in time. Jesus, I pray for each one right now, God. All the way from the newborn, Lord Jesus. All the way through the childhood, the adolescence, God. The preteen and the teenage years, God. The young adulthood. Jesus, I pray for them right now, O oh God. I pray correction where it needs to be brought, Lord. I pray that it would be brought properly, Lord Jesus. I pray that it would be rooted in doctrine, that it would be rooted in truth, O oh God. Jesus, I pray for the parents even, Lord, and the grandparents. God, all of the guardians, those that are responsible, Lord Jesus, for giving correction. I pray for them right now in the name of Jesus. I pray give them your help, O oh God. Give them your wisdom, Lord Jesus. God, I pray for protection around our children and our young people. God, I pray protection against this world. I pray for protection right now, God. Let them be insulated, God, from that wicked, from that evil, Lord. I pray let them be guarded from it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, come on, lend yourself to some prayer. The spirit of prayer is here right now. Why don't you lend yourself to some prayer for somebody. In the name of Jesus. I pray let the word of truth be spoken, O God. Let the word of truth be spoken into the ears, Lord, into the minds of those young people. Let the word of truth prevail, O God, I pray. God, we speak against the things of this world. We speak against the spirit of this age, O God, that would try to corrupt your word, that would try to corrupt the seed of your word. I pray against it right now in Jesus' name. I bind every, every, every evil influence, Lord. I bind it all in your name, Jesus, and I loose the word of truth. 
I loose the understanding of truth, God. I loose it in the name of Jesus over each one of these minds, into the homes of each one, O oh God. I pray it right now in the name of Jesus. I speak it, I declare it right now in the name of Jesus. Father, in your name. Father, in your name. Yes, God, we say yes to your word. We say yes to your word, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Touch our parents, Lord Jesus. God, those that are trying to parent children in this wayward generation. God, those that are trying to set proper boundaries. God, those that are trying to give proper understanding. I pray be with them in the name of Jesus. I pray supernatural wisdom, O oh God. As your word says, if any lacks wisdom, let him ask for it, God. I'm praying for wisdom right now. I'm praying for wisdom right now, God, for us to know how to teach, how to train. I'm praying for us to know, God, how to example and live a godly life. God, a life that would be as a witness, a life that would be as an example of you and your word. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Father, in your name. Father, in your name. We thank you, God. Hallelujah. Oh, we thank you, God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. I'm, I'm going to close. I'll just remind you, especially those of us that are trying to build a godly environment in our homes, specifically. If you were there last Tuesday night, try your best to remember some of those practical things that we talked about at the park. What can I do to interject more of God? Speak out loud. Pray out loud. Walk around singing, walk around praising the Lord, talking about how great He is. Amen? That fosters an environment. And children are the most fascinating creatures in the world, how much they learn, how quickly they learn, what they pick up on. Amen? They know, they're listening. My... Uh, my wife said that some kids were pretending to baptize some, what was it, toys of some kind. Oh, yeah. It was on a game. <laughs> they were sanctifying their video game. <laughs> and they found some water and they found some things or people or whatever creatures that needed to go into that water. <laughs> they just learn, I'm telling you. They pick up on things. Colin, he said they're a new man. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. Why don't you greet one another? You're dismissed in Jesus' name.